All right. Welcome again, everyone. Uh, and once more, welcome everyone online following us. Uh, I think, as I've mentioned probably before, I think maybe I wrote about it a little bit, uh, I'm in the process of doing some renovations on my house. Uh, been for 18 years, and it's a 1995, so it's a stick and stucco like a lot of what's in Continental Ranch. And it's at that age, kind of like our church building is, where lots of things have to start getting fixed. The big, unfun things have to get fixed, structural things, right? And so for the past couple years, we've been doing lots of, lots of fixing of things, uh, painting inside and outside. Uh, we got new pipes in. We had polybutylene. If you're familiar with those, they have a tendency to break. Uh, so, you know, and you know how it is. You start with the pipes, and that means then you got to do the walls, and you do the walls, then it's like, and then, you know, pretty soon you're renovating the whole house. Well, right now, uh, we're doing tiling. Um, this is the second round of tiling. We did a lot, bunch of the, most of the house, but we had left three bedrooms. We thought we were going to carpet it. We kind of changed our mind. Uh, our cats, if you have cats, they, their, their food does not always stay down. And the thought of spending three grand to buy new carpet to have the cats destroy it seemed kind of dumb. So since you guys are going to puke on everything, we're going to go scorched earth and leave you no carpet anywhere. We'll get area rugs, but those are easier to clean anyways. So that's what we're doing. We're retiling. And, um, of course, what do you do when you have to put new tile in? you got to empty the room. you got to empty that room and that closet that you've had for 18 years without having to really empty out. And so you're filling the garage full of stuff. The whole backyard is full of stuff. Uh, it's kind of, and it's a lot of stuff to do. And it's stressful, Right? It's stressful moving all that stuff out. You think you're going to throw stuff out, but even deciding what to throw out is stressful. And then, of course, then, where are you going to sleep? So now I'm sleeping in my living room. I'm like, I feel like I'm one of those trendy New York college grads who goes out and spends 3000 a month to explore themselves by living in a tiny little apartment where you can roll out of bed and walk right into your kitchen, you know? But I'm 50, and I'm not a trendy New York college grad exploring myself. But this is what it's like, and it's stress, and it's stressful. And we had even the fun. I got to add this little, little bit to the story. We almost got the bedrooms done. Turns out they didn't order enough grout. So we got to wait all weekend, because apparently it takes four days to get grout from Mesa. It's so far away. So here we go. We'll keep going on this. Well. There's stress, right? Moving is stress. It feels like moving, and moving is stress, and they say it's like one of the top four stressful things. By the time I got back into work, I found myself sitting at the desk, and I was just staring at the screen going, uh. You know those days when you just, your, your body is there, but your brain is not? And I'm kind of sitting there all morning feeling guiltily obligated to stay, and at some point I'm like, you know, I'm just a butt in the chair the proverbial butt in the chair where your body has to be there. Now, fortunately, I feel blessed that I have the kind of a job where I can say, this isn't working, and go home and sleep and come back, and then I can get like twice as much done, right? When you're well-rested, it's amazing how much productivity shoots way up through the roof. And, um, and the, the, it gets a little counterintuitive 
maybe even, maybe even a little blasphemous, but I'm going to say it. Sometimes more work does not lead to more results. Sometimes working more makes less. And I do have to emphasize sometimes, right? Because there are some jobs where more is just more, right? If you're di shoveling, digging out a hole, three hours of digging will get you more digging than one hour of digging, right? Um, if you're sitting in the factory stamping bumpers, assuming a robot doesn't have your job yet, right? The bumpers come through, you pull your lever, it goes through. Well, if I do this for 10 hours, I'll produce more bumpers than if I do it for one. That's industrial kind of work. In industrial work, more is more. And we've kind of been conditioned for the past 100 years to believe in a work ethic, where more work creates more. But that doesn't work for all work. If you have other kinds of work that involves creative thinking, problem solving, uh, figuring out solutions to things, uh, that involves lots of knowledge, that's not the kind of work that you can just crank out. It doesn't work like stamping out bumpers. It, you can put a lot of effort into it, and you need to, but it doesn't always translate to more because there's this intangible element that's kind of hard to pin down and hard to quantify, but you know it when you feel it, and, and that's what can be the difference between just doing it and doing it great. And that's inspiration. Creative work takes inspiration. It takes you to produce something that you don't have within you. You gotta figure out, figure out how to make it work. You gotta pit the pieces together. You gotta come up with something new. That takes inspiration. Industrial work, you're just repetitively doing what you already know. Creative work, problem solving work, is all about making something that you haven't made and doing something you haven't done. And where does that inspiration come from? There's two, two kind of possibilities here. One uh, is that you really had the answer in your head all along, and you're just putting the pieces together. right? You had all the bits and parts, but your brain just hadn't quite connected the circuits. And so at the right moment, you know, all the circuits align, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's how I you know, get that bridge to go over that river. And, uh, you know, often, as we all know, it doesn't come to us right away, right? You can sit, you can keep problem solving and problem solving, and you can sit there with your CAD and your calculator, and it just doesn't work, and then you wake up, you give up, and then you wake up at 3 in the morning, right? What happens at 3 in the morning? Either you worry about everything that you didn't take care of the day before, or the idea hits you, right? And you say it hits you. Because it feels like it comes to you from outside of you. But then it's like, bam, that's how it works. So one possibility is that the answer is already within. We just have to sort of allow it to come out. But the other possibility is that the reason you say it hit you is because it did come to you from without, and that it's not within you, and that it's a gift from God. And I believe this. A, a skeptic will look at me and say, Lars, that's all oogie-boogie stuff. The answer's always within, right? And I'm just, I'm just attributing to the spirit what can be explained otherwise. It's just, it, it's just you getting the right neural connections, blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you, 
there's been enough times in my life where, where what has come to me or what I've thought, what I've felt, what I felt I've been able to create was not something that I could have pieced together just from my own head. It's not something I could have come up with. This is something the Apostle Paul says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, let's take a look at this. Paul is, here he's quoting, he's quoting from the Old Testament, he says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. So he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, which is, sounds even cooler in the original. So let's see what the prophet Isaiah says. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. Interesting how Paul's version of it came out so different. But I want to lean into the prophet's version for a minute. Because it's that last line, who works for those who wait for him. This is what we're doing essentially when we're seeking inspiration from the Holy Spirit. You're waiting for God to speak. You're waiting, which of course is very unproductive. Right? You're, you're not really preparing a way for God in the sense that you're working all day and all night to get everything lined up just right so that God can come. What you're doing is you're waiting. God is working. You're waiting. God will show up on his time through the Spirit. That's how inspiration through the Spirit works. You work to make yourself open. That's about all you can do. To clear the space and the schedule in your mind, in your life, to let the Spirit soak in. And we all know that sometimes clearing space is more work than work. Like it's when you go on vacation, right? You think about, say, you're going to go on vacation for a couple weeks. Think of all you have to do to get ready to go on vacation. You got to get everything at the office lined up so that it can function without you for two weeks. And you got to teach the sub to do this and make sure you line this up and thought of all the things that might get missed. And you realize you're working longer hours before your vacation to prepare to go. Then, of course, you got to get your house in order. And you got to get it clean because you know the cat sitter's coming over. And you know you won't be there to stop the cat sitter from opening any drawer that she wants to. So you better get that house clean and make sure you got enough cat food. And, of course, your spray for your carpet. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, you got to line up at what you're going to do on vacation. you got to get your stuff packed. you got to get those tickets booked. And you realize you're doing twice as much work to not work. See, I, I don't think that the Holy Spirit is any less active and speaking in our age. There's people who'll say that. They'll say, oh yeah, God, God used to give dreams and visions and, and God used to you know, work all these things in our world. And then it got to a certain point and God just said, eh, you guys have read too much philosophy and science textbooks. I'm done, I'm leaving. You're on your own now. I don't buy that. I don't buy that God has left the building. I don't buy that God has stopped giving us dreams and visions. Or that God has stopped showing us new ways and paths for our lives. 
or that God has stopped speaking in our hearts and minds or giving us new directions or calming us down when our hearts are filled with anger and hate. The Holy Spirit did not stop working. I think we stopped listening. We stopped opening ourselves up. We stopped preparing ourselves to receive the Spirit. Let me explain a little what I mean by that. As you know, I have five kids, and a couple of them aren't really kids anymore. Two of them are taller than me. But, you know, there was a while when all of us were in the house. And I kind of missed them, and then COVID came, and we were like, oh, everyone's back together. And then after a while, it's everyone's back together. <laughs> but I know what it's like, right? I know what it's like to, to, you know, to go to work all day, you put your energy into that, and you come home, and then you realize, wait, we still got, I still got more work to do. And then you got to somehow squeeze out the energy to do that, and you got to find the time for all these things. And it, the reality is, most of the time, it's too many things to get everything done, and done right, and done well, and to be on top of it. You, you just can't. There isn't enough time in the day, and so things get pushed aside. You have to triage. And I have found that if I get too focused on taking care of the chores and the cleaning and the organizing and these things, that often the quality things that I want to do, including even the family, they get pushed aside. The, the time to spend time with the kids gets pushed aside to clean the room for the kids. That kind of thing. And, and then you have all these things on your schedule. When do you have time to just be? Where is there time for awe and wonder? Where is there time to soak in life and the world around you? You know, when do you have time to go and smell the cactus and sit in God's presence? When do you have time to sit in God's presence? I always thought maybe I should get a, I should make an app called the God's Presence app. Although I realized that the acronym would be GPA and people would go to it thinking how to doctor their Harvard admissions. But the God's Presence app, right? You could, you could put on a timer. Okay, I'm going to sit in God's presence for 10 minutes today and then it'll play soothing organ music in the back. You know, it'll play how great thou art while you sit there. And you can sit there for 10 minutes and it'll track you, you know, at the end of the week and send you a notification. You sat in God's presence for 37 minutes this week. Congratulations, that is a 10% increase over last week. And then when I commit a crime, see, then they'll know exactly where I was because they'll subpoena my, my God app and they'll, say, and they'll say, I know you were in the house at that time. It says right here, you were meditating. So we schedule all the awe and the wonder out of our lives. And we accuse the Holy Spirit of leaving the room. But we didn't open the door. It's industrial thinking that's taken over our lives and we're still pushing on with this more is more. So there's really a way, there is really a way in life. A way in which a whole life that builds for time, for awe and wonder, imagination and peacefulness, and time with God, and that that kind of a life will actually accomplish a whole lot more, and you'll get more out of it than a life where it's always spent pushing harder and harder. Let's keep going with Paul a little bit here. 
He talks about what it's like to get that inspiration, that communication with God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Boy, you could sit on that one for a while, couldn't you? <laughs> Paul was a deeply spiritual person. And he had these very intense encounters with God. He, he had a vision of Jesus on the road so powerful it knocked him off his horse. He talked at one point about, uh, you know, being caught up in the, what, seventh level of heaven and seeing what no eye should see. But I'm not going to talk more about that. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Way to, way, to, way to hold it in front of me here. Spiritual vague booking, Paul. <laughs> and, um, uh, but he was this very spiritual person. And it's when he talks about this stuff that Paul's really at his best. And what he's talking about here is openness, opening yourself to God. And you're not doing this in a detached way, like an observer looking at a movie, like, like, like a person reading a computer. That's not how it works with communication with God. He says this is deeply personal, and maybe that's why we get partly nervous about it. He says, that, you know, when God is speaking, God is, you're, you're speaking and experiencing at the same time. You're listening to God, but you're feeling God. And to do that, you have to let your walls down and let God speak to you in the places you might not want to speak. And, and I know I've said this many, many times. We all know that God already knows what's in our hearts. We all know that God already knows what we're feeling and what we're thinking and what we're doing and what we used to do and our embarrassing thoughts and dark desires and what we did last summer. <laughs> we know that God knows. But actually opening up and letting God in, that makes it go from just me sort of reading a screen to a personal encounter. Not just an intellectual thing. And that is not just a way of seeing, it's a form of communion, communing, being together. It's one reason why I think it's hard for us in our modern world to keep relationships, because you think of all the time and it takes and all the openness and vulnerability to really build connection, to be in each other's presence, to be vulnerable and unguarded, to do that without just all the to-dos and the lists. Who has time to search the depths of the soul when you're barely scratching your grocery list? Or maybe we do keep our list so full so that we don't have to spend the time in a state of being where we will see and have to come to terms with what is in our own hearts. We can schedule ourselves so much we don't have to feel what we don't want to feel. There are truths in the world that are shown to us through the Spirit. It can't be taught in a book, but can be felt in your heart. There are insights and inspirations that can't be forced or produced or made with our efforts, but are only the inspiration from God. It's why we are often at our most creative, most at peace, most productive, most happy when we have that, that space in our lives. 
And then that's when we see things that start to amaze. I'll leave you, we'll finish up with one quote here. I'll leave you with this. Verse 12, Paul goes on. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. God is inviting you into a life of the spirit, giving you a gift, offering you without work, for a life full of awe and wonder and inspiration. Amen.